Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. That's good to see all of you. Uh, did, uh, did, did Jeremiah do okay on Sunday? Yeah. Did he represent well? Yeah? Come on, let him know it. Uh, he's not even in the room. That's why you have to be loud. But uh, I really appreciate Jeremiah. Of course, I was in Irving um, at our, our new One Cause location. One Cause Irving with uh, Pastor Brandon uh, came and we set, set Brian and Jonna in as our campus pastors there on Sunday morning and just had a great time of celebration and then ate good barbecue after it was over together there at the church. But um, the pastor, Charlie McKay, is the man who was pastoring that church who handed it over to us and he and his wife, Faith, um, are just really behind. They love Brian and Jonna. They love our whole ministry and are very excited to, to see this church go forward. And it was something that was, has been really wonderful in this transition and, and this move and this expansion for our church was it, it was a real witness to Pastor Charlie and his, his wife, Faith. Miss Faith um, had, had been battling cancer. And uh, she'd gotten cancer a few years ago, and uh, I mean, and a miracle got healed, got healed of it. I mean, just there was no explanation for its disappearance except that God did something. And then two years later, cancer came back, and it came back with a vengeance. And, um, and she was at, they diagnosed her with stage four breast cancer. So, you know, that's, to many, that's, that's death. That's, that's the end. That's the big one. That's the bad one. And they just began to, you know, stand on the word of God and, and talk about what God had done before. And Lord, we, we believe that it's your, you know, will. She's healed. And so <clears throat> she'd been doing these tests and, and, and during this, um, this, pro, this uh, some kind of proton therapy that they do that they target the tumor. She had a tumor right here and could see it. And uh, so they began to hit that thing with this proton, whatever this thing is. Some, it's like a radiation. But, and so believing that if they took care of that, then any of the rest of the cancer would, would begin to diminish because this is the tumor that was feeding all of it. So uh, and it, was, it was a painful process, been a painful process for her. So during this time, as she's going on, through this therapy and through this treatment, this transaction takes place. And we meet Pastor Charlie, and he tells us about what's going on with his wife, Miss Faith, and ask us to pray. And so we just gathered right there and we prayed for her for healing. Well, some days went by and, and she got a, a new report from the doctor. Her number had been somewhere around 386, which is terrible. I don't know what that number necessarily represents. But the next time she went, after we had prayed and got a new test, it was down to 70. And, 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 and it was to the place where you could barely even see any evidence of a tumor here. So Pastor Charlie was just so excited. He said, you know what? This is just confirmation to me that what's going on here with your church, our connection with you, is, is this is God smiling on this and God's helping us. And uh, Sunday, Sunday when we were there, he was so excited to tell me. He said, Pastor, I've got to tell you some good news. He said, Faith went back again to the doctor and her number is down to 40. And they said, normal is 37. So she's almost there. So uh, we're just continuing to thank God for what he's, he's doing in her and, and believe in the power of prayer, believe in the 
the power of the prayer of faith. Amen. So I'm very excited about that. Um, Praise God. And also, just to announce to you, how many of you like gospel singing, gospel music? Well, on November the 20th, mark your calendars, it's Sunday, um, we're going to have a gospel singing there at our One Cause uh, location in Irving. And we're just going to gather, they got a, Miss Velma, they have a grand piano. We have a grand piano there at the church in Irving. You've got to see this thing. It's absolutely beautiful. And it'd be really good if you could play a tune or two. I'll drive you out there. Will you go if I drive you? Don't know yet? Okay. You've heard about my driving, huh? Well, it's going to be a wonderful time. So that's November the 20th. I believe it's going to be at 6 p.m. We'll give you more details about it as we approach. We're just going to have a great night singing a bunch of old, fun songs and, uh, uh, and worship God together. So um, November the 20th. So now let's get into tonight. Um, and I want to just encourage you to buckle up a little bit because we're going to move through this. I think it's perfect that we're going to kind of move quickly through this book called Mark. Because Mark is all about moving quick. Uh, if, you, if you know anything about the gospel, you know about this gospel specifically, <laughs> you, know, you find that Mark gets from one place to the next, man. I mean, and so let me just give you some background on the book of Mark. We're in our Route 66 series, and, and we just came out of Matthew a couple of weeks ago, and now here we come to this great book, it's 16 chapters long. And of the four gospels, um, scholars believe that Mark was the one that was written first. And that both Matthew and Luke used Mark as an outline for writing their accounts as well. It's believed that it was written somewhere between 60 and 70 A.D. And uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. Uh, The word simply means to uh, seen together, to see things together. This this title is given because these three books um, are very similar in content. They, They follow the same chronological order. Uh, the vast majority of the stories are in that are, are placed basically in the same way they are. John is a bit different because John, John wasn't um, wasn't an educated man. He was a fisherman. Luke was definitely educated. He was a physician. Matthew was definitely educated as he was a tax collector and had to know the numbers. Don't know much about Mark in that way, but we know that uh, that John just had revelation. And, and John makes a mess out of the chronology. He doesn't even try to be in order about what Jesus was doing. He was just, as they came, as Revelation came, then he'd give some commentary on it. Remember in John chapter 7? I know we're preaching on Mark, but John chapter 7, he said, uh, he said uh, Jesus said, uh, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Talking about, and John said, this he spoke of the Spirit who, who had not yet come. But would, but would soon come. And John just takes these moments to kind of preach at you a little bit throughout Jesus' ministry. It's really awesome. And we'll get to that later. But Matthew, uh, I mean, uh, the Gospel of Mark is, is a book of action. And I mean, it's Jesus in action. And the Gospel centers on the person and the mission of the Son of God himself. Jesus is revealed in Mark more by what he does than by what he says. He gets right to the point when recording the acts of Jesus. And if you read the book of Mark, and I encourage you to take this week to, to read, read this great book. Um, the word immediately or the word straightway or any word similar to that are mentioned in 16 chapters over 40 times this word appears. So Mark, that's what I'm saying. He just gets you right to the point. Just takes you to the next thing. It's Jesus moving, 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 moving. And so... Um, 
he, he doesn't take time to give you all the details about it, about the trip there or any of that. He just gets you right there to that city and what Jesus was doing at that moment. In Mark, he records 19 miracles of Jesus, and he only records nine parables. So it's mostly about what Jesus did. So who was Mark? Um, now, we, can read, we read later on in the book of Acts that, his act, that he was also known as John Mark. And John Mark was a, uh, he was Barnabas, you know, Paul's companion for, for a long time. Uh, John Mark or Mark was Barnabas's nephew. Um, and we can read, you can see that account in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10 for your notes if you're taking them. And he was also a companion of Paul and Barnabas on Paul's early missionary uh, journey, his, his first one. But later left, when they got to a, a town called uh, Pamphylia, he left and went back home to Jerusalem. Um, as a matter of fact, that really bothered Paul that, John, that Mark did that. Uh, later on, when they went to go back out on, on Paul's second missionary journey, they, they decided they were going to go out, and this is in Acts chapter 15. You can read this after the great council in Jerusalem. Um, they, they go to go, and Barnabas says, I want to take Mark, and Paul says, no, he left us early last time. Uh, I, I just don't think he's fit for this. And so there was such a dispute between Paul and Barnabas that they split ways right there. Uh, Barnabas grabs Mark, and they take off for Cyprus, and then Paul picks up um, Silas and takes him and then ends up meeting Timothy. And, and we never hear from Barnabas again. We never hear from him again. Um, but later on, things seem to have worked out between Paul and Mark himself. In, in, in Philemon, if you'll bring that up on the screen, in Philemon chapter 1, well, it's only one chapter, uh, Paul is, is doing his final uh, goodbye here, and he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark... Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. Also pick up in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, the very last chapter Paul wrote before he was beheaded. He writes, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. At one time, Paul deemed him not useful, but now he sees him as useful for ministry. So it's really neat. He was, Mark was not one of Christ's 12 disciples, um, but he seems to be an one who had an eyewitness account, someone that was around, maybe one of those fringe uh, disciples as Jesus. You know, one time he sent out 70 disciples. Another time he sent out 500. Uh, there were also 500 witnesses of him at, at his resurrection. So Mark was probably in that crowd. Um, he may even been a convert of Peter. It's interesting when you read the book of Mark that he mentions Peter 22 times in those 16 chapters, way more than he mentioned any of the other disciples. Matter of fact, over in... Um, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, Peter calls Mark his son. So there's a good chance that he led Mark to Christ. A very interesting piece of scripture in the book of Mark that we don't see anywhere else is found in Mark chapter 14. Now let's bring this up. This is a very interesting. Now this is after Jesus had just been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. All right? Chapter 50 says that all of his disciples scattered. They, they, they had forsaken him. Then it says, now a certain young man followed him having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body and the young men laid hold of him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. What? Why is that in the Bible? It's a weird detail, isn't it? And apparently this didn't mean anything to Matthew, Luke, or John to even mention this account. But Mark mentions it. 
I think it's very safely to assume, this is what I believe, that that's Mark. It means something to him because he's the naked guy running around. So he makes mention of it just to maybe say, I was there. And, and, and watch this. Interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, we see something interesting. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many gathered together praying. Now, that, this was um, right, this was talking about Peter when he had, the angel had busted him out of prison and he showed up at Mary's house. This is Mark's mom, Barnabas' sister. And, and even Paul and Barnabas are actually there. I've showed you through Scripture how we have proof that they were actually there in that meeting that night. But Mark is there. This house is where? It's in Jerusalem. Now think about this. The, the linen cloth that this young man had wrapped around him, the scripture says, is a night garment. If you look at it in the Strong's Concordance, it was a night garment. It was pajamas, basically. All right? So just imagine this, that Mark is laying in bed. All of a sudden he hears a bunch of footsteps marching down the street. And it's these soldiers on their way to arrest Jesus in the garden. And he sees the, 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 the torch light flickering off of, his, off of his walls in his bedroom. And he hears noise out of his bedroom window. So he throws, wraps that linen cloth around him and he runs out there to see what's going on. And from a distance he watches what happens and he watches the other disciples scatter. And then they take Jesus and he's following Jesus kind of through the shadows, but he gets busted. And these soldiers see him, so they go after him to grab him, and he says, no, 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 keep my clothes, I'm out of here. And Mark probably ran back home to his mama. Uh, now, this is just, this is all just theory, but I think it's pretty safe, a pretty safe assumption. Otherwise, why, I don't see why it would be important for this, why it would be anybody else but him, unless it was important to him, which means if it was important to him, it was probably him. There are two miracles also that are only recorded in the book of Mark that are not recorded in Matthew, Luke, or John. A lot of them are the same. Matthew, Mark, and Luke many times share the same miracles. But there are two that are specific to Mark. Mark chapter 7 is one where Jesus heals a deaf mute man, a man who was deaf who had a speech impediment. And the scripture says that he put his fingers in the deaf man's ears and spits on his hand and puts his hand on the, deaf, on the, on the man's tongue. You want to demonstrate that? <laughs> and it says that the man could hear and the man could speak. The other one is found in Mark chapter 8, the next chapter. And now Jesus is in a town called Bethsaida. And you spell it like Beth said, S-A-I-D-A. Beth said a good thing today, Bethsaida. Uh, say, and Jesus is there, and the crowd says, could you please help this man? So they bring out this blind man to him, and then Jesus looks at this blind man, and he spits in his eyes. The scripture says he spits in the, in the, in the blind man's eyes, and then lays his hands on him, and then says, what do you see? And the blind man said, I, I see men like trees. And then Jesus laid his hands on him again, and then he had perfect sight. Both of those miracles are spitting miracles that are not recorded in any of the Gospels. Interesting. Those are just some unique things about the book of Mark. There are also these uh, verses, a few verses that you know from Mark. Mark chapter 4, verse 14, where Jesus said, The sower sows the word. 
We all know that. We've heard that once or twice if we've been to One Cause Church, right? We've also heard this one that you might have heard me once or twice, Mark 9, 23. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Maybe you're familiar with this one too. Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Verse 23, for whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you desire, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. Those are all found in the book of Mark. Glorious, glorious. Now this is the attraction. We're just going through, uh, kind of giving you a big idea of Mark and, and, and getting to know this book a little bit more. Interestingly enough, Mark chapter 1, I want to bring this up, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he opens it up with this. He doesn't talk about the genealogy of Christ, doesn't talk about the birth of Christ. He goes right into the beginning of Christ's ministry, and he calls it the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, I want us to look at Philippians chapter 4 for a moment. Watch this, verse 15. Philippians chapter 4. Now watch what Paul the apostle says, who didn't come, uh, uh, came later on in life. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia. Now hang on a second. Paul said, or Mark says, he's recording the beginning of the gospel Paul says the beginning of the gospel started when he departed from Macedonia. The gospel can't have two beginnings unless we're talking about two gospels. Unless we're talking about two gospels. Now here's some good theology for you, okay? Come on, tell me. Lay it on me, Pastor Eric. Really? Seriously? That's, that's the best you can do? Are you serious? All right. The phrase, the beginning of the gospel, only appears these two times in Scripture. The gospel that Jesus preached was known as the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel to the Jews. The gospel that, as a matter of fact, let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14. If we can bring that up. Mark 1, verse 14. Later, later on in the chapter... Um, it says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. They continue to carry on this theme of the gospel of the kingdom. As Peter is standing there after all these people had spoken in tongues, remember 120 of them, and so all this whole crowd's listening to what's going on. They're confused at what's going on. What is this? These people are obviously drunk. What's going on? I mean, everybody was kind of giving their opinions, and that's when Peter stands up and gives clarity of what's going on. And then they said, when he talks about them hanging Jesus on a cross, they crucified him, but he rose again from the dead. And then it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Look what Peter says. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this theme, this gospel of the kingdom, continues to go forward. As Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
Now, at that time, when the, when the disciples heard all the world, they weren't thinking Gentiles. They weren't thinking people like us. In their minds, they were still thinking all the Jews all over the world. There was no revelation at that time that God was bringing the gospel to all of us. Not until Acts chapter 10, when, P when Peter saw the vision and went to Cornelius' house. The first Gentile convert didn't happen until Acts chapter 10. So here it's still to the Jews. It's still the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is repent and be baptized. All right, they said that several times to their own people. Matter of fact, in, in the, toward the end of this book, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He's, what, what gospel is he preaching? He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Well, then we have the Apostle Paul come along, and he teaches us something. that He says this is a mystery that was hidden throughout the ages, but now it's been revealed. And that is Christ in you, Christ in you Gentiles, the hope of glory. And so he talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, how he says, I delivered to you the gospel. And look at verse 3, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. We've said this a few times in this church, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Wow. That gospel is not repent and be baptized or repent. It is Christ, Christ, Christ. And the response to what Jesus did is to Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. To believe on him and you'll be saved. It's a bit different. The gospel to the Gentile is a bit different from the gospel to the Jew. Now, both of them are centered in Christ. All right? He is the substance of these gospels. But there is a difference in the message, in the way it is preached. So there you go. There's some... That's why there can be two beginnings of gospels. All right, the beginning of the gospel of the kingdom, the beginning of the gospel of Christ. All right, now, let's look at here for a moment the person of Jesus, 802. All right, we're doing good. Now, as we previously learned about Matthew, what was Matthew here to reveal about Jesus? Remember, Matthew was on a mission, and he needed to prove to the Jews that Jesus Christ was the king and the Messiah. When he said, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All right? And Matthew used, what did I say, 41? I think it was 41. <laughs> like, you're like, please don't ask me. I don't have any clue. 41 Old Testament references proving, proving these messianic, messianic prophecies, proving that Jesus was the one, that Jesus was the Redeemer, Jesus was the King. All right? So Matthew lays out this, this beautiful, the way he writes is proving Jesus in that way. Mark, however, and, and Matthew's gospel was, was specifically to the, uh, to the Jews. But Mark reveals Jesus as the servant. He reveals Jesus as the servant. It, it's, it's, it's written with an, a Roman audience in mind. Um, and so it's, it's a little broader audience. Um, because many of the Jewish words and traditions are explained in Mark it seems to be with an assumption that the readers uh, were not necessarily Jews. And it contains very few Old Testament references. Very interesting in that way. And I think that you can, you can surmise this um, gospel. You can summarize, I should say, this gospel in one verse, the, uh, Mark's gospel, and, and him presenting Jesus as the servant in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, for Jesus is speaking, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. There's where we see the person of Jesus, the servant, Jesus the servant. That's why Mark's gospel is about what he did, what he did, what he did. It's all about Jesus' action in the earth, healing, touching, delivering, casting out devil, all kinds of, raising the dead. Mark was all about Jesus' service to mankind. Beautiful. And ultimately paying the, the greatest act of service by laying down his life for all of us. And I'm going to leave you with this, the memento for tonight. The memento I want you to take into this week. I was very tempted to just go to Mark chapter 11 and verse 22 through 24 and just teach you out of that. You've heard me teach out of those verses many, many times. I was very tempted to do that, but I thought, no, 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 I'm going to take it maybe a different approach. And it's in the very last chapter. Since this book is about Jesus the servant, then I thought it was only right that we keep that theme here and take that attitude into our own lives, that we're not here to be served, we're here to serve. All right, if we get served, great. But we are here as his people in the earth, as his children, as his body in the earth to serve one another. Can I get a good amen? Amen. 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 Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus says, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. Now you know why I had you guys come in from the sound booth and do this here tonight. As a demonstration of what Jesus said believers can do. Didn't say pastors. Didn't say full people in full-time ministry. He just simply said believers. All right? Any believers in here? Huh? This is to you then. This is to you. And they will recover. They will recover. So as believers, all of you in the name of Jesus have, let me just give you these things, authority over demons. That's good to know. There's nothing about the devil you should be afraid of one day of your life. Now let me say, I've cast devils out of people before. I don't like that experience, I'll be honest with you, because my flesh tells me, Run! You know, you've seen those horror movies, and you, I don't want any part of this. But the devil's very real, and demon possession is very real. But so is the power of the name of Jesus. And it's way more powerful than any stupid devil. The Scripture says that what Jesus did at that cross is he disarmed the devil. For this purpose, he came to destroy the works of the devil. So just because somebody's, I won't come out, just because they've got all this this stuff going on. That, that should not intimidate you for one second. You say, you're coming out in Jesus' name. You know, I've never, ever, 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 ever left someone bound when I was confronted with a demonic manifestation. They obeyed every time. Yeah, but you're a pastor. <laughs> Ask my wife just how perfect I am. All right? it's, 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 it's not about how perfect you are. It's about that name and your faith in that name, all right? And so you believe in his name. There ain't no devil in hell that can stop you. They got to go out. They have to obey every time. You also have, this says, they'll speak in new tongues. Guess what that gives you? That gives you authority in prayer. Because this, Paul says, when I pray in tongues, my spirit's praying. Now, you need to know that. That means you have authority because your spirit is connected to his spirit now. Your spirit looks just like his. 
and whatever authority he has, you have. So that's why I encourage you to pray in the Spirit because that is, the, that is one kind of authoritative prayer that you can pray. Because the cool thing about praying in the Spirit is you can't mess it up with this. He says, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Uh, Y'all know what that's like, right? I have no idea what I'm saying. I've been speaking in tongues for, seems like all my life, and to this day I go, wow, I wonder what I'm saying. But it's a good thing that we can pray in such a way that this mind doesn't get, doesn't get involved and mess the thing up. You know, because, you know, you can, we, we, are, we are a complicated mixture of humanity. We, the way God pieced us together, we've got emotions involved. Sometimes we might pray out of emotions and there ain't one bit of faith in that. We might pray because we're scared to death, right? So we need to be able to pray in such a way that it's uninhibited with the human touch, with human reasoning, and that's the power of praying in the Spirit. Also, he says, they will take up service. Now, some people take this too literally, all right? I've got to go to a church where they handle snakes just one time. I just want to sit in that service, and at least for the entertainment of it. I, I just can't believe people actually do that. That's crazy. I mean, they actually, because they take that, they'll take up service. Oh, let's grab some snakes. Uh, no, there's also a scripture that says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So they take up the, he said, that's not what he's saying to worship Jesus with snakes. He's talking about what would later happen to Paul, remember? When he picked up that bundle of sticks and that snake fastened to his hand, that very, very poisonous snake on the Isle of Malta, and all the, the natives were sitting there waiting for him to die. And the scripture says he just shook that snake off into the fire. Not one effect from it. That's what it's talking about. And if they drink anything deadly, this does not mean you go tempt God and go, hey, me uh, some strychnine, honey. Let's see just how true this verse is. What this is really saying, it's given a couple of examples. A, a serpent and something deadly, deadly poison, are things that can harm. What he's really saying is you have authority over anything that can harm. Okay? And the last thing, it says they will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. In his name, you as a believer have authority over sickness. I don't care what the sickness is called. Are you hearing me? There is no greater name than that name, than the name of Jesus. Okay? From a sniff, sn uh, sniffles to a stage four cancer. All of it is subject to his authority. All of it is subject. Amen. I hope this bless you tonight. We got through it. Praise God. I didn't think we were going to do it. But we did. Let's stand together tonight. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this great time together. Thank you for the privilege that we have and the, the freedom that we have to come into this place and gather in the name of Jesus and worship you, God, and bless your name. And take this moment, the middle of the week, when we're already in the grind of life, Lord, and work and school and all those things, and we can say, no, 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 I'm putting this on hold. I'm going to the house of God, and I'm going to remember him in my life. I'm going to remember that he is God and I am not, and that's a good thing, and that God is on my side and that God loves me, and God gives joy, God gives strength, God gives hope, God gives wisdom, God gives help, 
Thank you, Lord, for that. Tonight, we just come to, to hear from you, God, to worship you, Lord, and to thank you for your word and the truth of your word, what it does in our everyday lives. God, let this word affect. Let this word impact. Let this word penetrate. Let this word, God, go into the spirit, the soul, and the body and do what it does. It's alive and it is powerful. So we welcome your word. Lord, we welcome the impact of it. We welcome the seed of the word so that it will take deep root in our hearts, be planted deep in our hearts and begin to grow and produce godliness, the fruit of the spirit. Hallelujah. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Thank you, Lord, for the manifestation of your word in your people's life. God, I thank you that they're living in its experience, living in the experience of your promises, God. I just pray peace and grace be multiplied to them and from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you now tonight that as we all go home, we get settled down and everyone, it's time to lay down and get some sleep, that we will all lay down and in peace and sleep. For you alone, O oh Lord, make us dwell in safety. Thank you for that. And when they rise in the morning, Lord, for a new day, God, they rise with a song on their hearts and praise on their lips. And I thank you, Lord, that you are with them always, a very present help in time of need. In the name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.